The Take What Serves, Leave the Rest podcast is sponsored by Prairie Care. You know, going through the process of getting help with your mental health can be very overwhelming. I definitely know that from firsthand experience. Prairie Care can help guide you through it and get you in touch with the help that you need. They've been offering mental health services to all ages in the Twin Cities of Minnesota since 2005. Whether you're looking for clinical services, a specialty outpatient program, or a more intensive level of care like inpatient treatment, Prairie Care has you and your family covered. Visit prairie-care.com to learn more. That's prairie-care.com. Hello there, my friends, and welcome into another episode of the Take What Serves, Leave the Rest podcast. My name is Brian Pyatt. I'm your host, and wonderful to have you here, holding space as always for however you are showing up right here right now in this moment and looking forward to spending some time together here today. This week on the podcast, once again, joining hands with the See My Grief podcast hosted by my dear friend Kelly Grosslogs. Uh, We joined together for this interview that we're bringing to you with Colleen Lindstrom. And Colleen is somebody who spent about 20 years working in broadcasting, hosted a a radio show for 10 years in the Minneapolis-St. Paul area on a radio station called My Talk 1071. Um, If you're living in the Twin Cities, this is uh, likely a familiar name for you that you've listened to before. Um, And Colleen, about a year ago, left that job, Um, and she gets into that a little bit here on this this episode, kind of what led to that, and she has now launched a a little platform movement called the Bronze Medal Life, which is really all about celebrating the average moments in life. She has also launched a podcast, the Bronze Medal Life podcast. And we talk much more about the bronze medal life here in this episode. And we also dive into Colleen's story with grief. And Colleen shares the story of her daughter, Brady, who died at the age of three months, um, about 19 years ago. And Colleen, um, so honored to, to be let into her story in this way on this episode. She shares her process of maneuvering grief, um, opening up to the process of having kids again after that loss. Um, we get into the process of being honest with others about our pain and our grief and whatever it is that we're maneuvering and that we're walking in and, and much more. So, As always, my friends, I hope that there's something in this conversation that serves you moving forward. I encourage you, as always, to just leave whatever does not serve you. Um, And just a note, too, that we're going to link up in the show notes here of this episode to the Bronze Metal Life website, where you can learn much more about Colleen and and the work that she's doing. So with that... (laughs) 
Sending love to each and every one of you out there today. And let's go ahead and begin our conversation with Colleen Lindstrom. Thank you so much for, for taking the time to, to join us. It's so great to have you. It is absolutely my pleasure. And this is so fun that we have um, all three of us in this conversation. Hi, Kelly. Hi, Brian. And hi, Colleen. I, um, a little bit for the back backstory of the listeners, um, we have a common friend named Allison and literally just out of the blue sent me your, which we'll talk about it, um, your new adventure. And um, she said, just look what my friend's doing. And I read three sentences of your lead in and said, I have to interview her. Do you just want to launch in and start talking about who you are, what you've done and what you're doing? And we'll go from there. Yeah. I mean, thank you, first of all, for what a, what a beautiful um, intro. That was so lovely. So here. OK, so I'll just kind of give you it's interesting when you think back on your own personal story, it's hard to condense it. But um, what I will tell you, uh, at least right now, is that I spent 20 years working in broadcasting in various different ways. Um, I started in sales, I worked in production, and then I hosted a radio show for 10 years with um, my wonderful friend Bradley Trainer, And um, that was a dream come true. And at the same time, I was parenting my children, uh, being a wife to my husband. I found myself in a place where my mother needed more care than I was able to give her while I was still working. She's um, She has dementia. And we had a global pandemic. And that was a great time to put things in perspective. And I decided to make the bold decision to leave my wonderful dream job and um, be present in my life. And so I did that about a year ago in December. And all along, I've always had this idea. I've always sort of engaged with this with this um, philosophy that most of us will never be the best at anything in our lives. And that can sound like such a depressing thing if you just leave it alone like that. But the truth is, there's so much joy in being average. <laughs> there's so much joy in not pursuing perfection. And I want people to indulge in that and and talk about it and be open about it and what that path looks like and how you can even be average at being average. Um, and so that's when I started the bronze medal life and it really, it has a, a few different elements. I have a sub stack where I, I write, I love to write and it is something I have not had a lot of time to do. And, um, I just kicked off my very own podcast. So you can find the bronze medal life podcast anywhere you get podcasts. And, um, and, and I'm hoping that it will just start a new way of talking about, how to be present and mindful in your life and also be okay just being okay. Mm -hmm. You know, um, bronze medal, 
versus, so we, we understand that metaphor from the Olympics, right? So yep. we've got the gold, the silver and the bronze. Talk about the naming of that and where that came from. So, um, I thought about it because the bronze medal is still darn good. Yeah. Uh, if you've made it to the Olympics. Yeah, I don't have one. I don't have I, one, by the way. So um. Neither do I. <laughs> <laughs> but if you've, if you've made it to the, to the podium, you're still doing great. And so I think, um, it, you know, it's not to say, it, it, I'm not saying failure is great, right? I'm saying right. not being the best is still really dang good. Mm-hmm. And um, we can have pride in that. We can we can have pride in that. I, the first time I I remember having that that feeling, and I don't. This is going to just sound so woe is me, and it's hard sometimes to talk about this without sounding so woe is me. But I think I was a teenager, and I remember thinking, I'll never be pretty. I'll never look like all the pretty people. And my immediate second thought was what would that do for me anyway? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. what would that do for me to look a certain way, to look different than how I look? Mm-hmm. And I I really logically thought, well, probably really nothing. Or it might create a whole bunch of other problems that I can't even think of. Yeah. So what if just like being a redhead with freckles and pale skin is just fine. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, um, I, I think to me, this is so well-timed. I actually just recently did a, an episode on this concept of just embracing the averageness of yes. life. And, and I, and I feel like, I feel like average has almost become this like bad word in the society that we live in. Like, mm-hmm. oh, you're supposed to always be striving for this and be living your full potential and and all of that and while i know a lot of that stuff can be very well intentioned it feels very packed and steeped with pressure that Mm -hmm. ultimately is i think robbing us of happiness and just being in the moment and being present and just being with what is and so when i hear average and when i heard when i heard the the whole concept behind this work that you're doing I feel like it just helps me like almost like take an exhale and like take yes. the pressure off. Yes. You know, the, the, the other place where I really saw this um, up close and personal was how I've always wanted to parent my kids. And yeah. when they were little and learning how to walk and um, you know, kids, I mean, they walk like drunken, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, drunken sailors everywhere. It's so yeah. cute. Um, but they would fall down. And the first thing they do is they look at you to get your reaction. And what I did, what I would always do 100% of the time when they fell, I'd go, oh, ta-da, because they'd stand back up and they'd smile because they tried and they didn't make it, but they could get back up and do it all over again. And it was such a simple, silly little thing. But I would think about where am I doing that in my life? Like, where do I fall down and then go, ta-da, like... No, nowhere. (laughs) I got to change that. I have to change that because the only way you learn new skills, the only way you change is by having, failing softly in safe ways. Yeah, absolutely. So one does not get wise like you are without (laughs) going through hard things. Um, And I think one of the things, um, 
the early part, now you've, you've mentioned your mom with dementia so that mm-hmm. you're having this, you're living in this kind of anticipatory grief part of mm-hmm. um, off like constant goodbyes. Right. And, mm-hmm. um, and the knowing what's coming, but the, the grief story that I'm really impacted by with yours is your daughter, Brady, that died yeah. at three months, I believe, of Correct. SIDS. Um, I imagine, and I don't know, maybe there is a grief story prior to that, but would you be willing to share kind of, because even in grief, people want to make sure they're doing it in the gold medal way. Oh. Because they yeah. want to, it's a way to think if they do it right, they're going to feel better sooner. Um, yes. Yes. And I know this is so your wheelhouse. And so I, I love, and I do, I actually love talking about this because, you know, my grief was sort of my pathway to mindfulness, which is why it's such a great thing yes. that the two of you have come together in this way. Um, yeah. So um, my husband and I were, you know, we got married at, I think I was 25 and which is now I think back and I go, boy, we were really young. Um and we always knew we wanted to start a family. And my maiden name was Brady. And I told my husband, mm. I said, I will take your last name if we can name our firstborn child Brady. Now I see, you know, it's so beautiful. Like the fortune of that is that I knew her by name from the moment she became real to me. Yes. And so um, we we called her by name throughout the entire pregnancy, healthy pregnancy. She was born... Um, I think she was born at 40 weeks and maybe like three or four days. Mm-hmm. So full-term pregnancy, beautiful, healthy child, um, just the light of our lives. And I was working at the radio station at the time um, and I was producing a radio show and my husband and I had a great schedule where we were able to only have her in daycare in the mornings and then I would spend the afternoons with her. So I had gotten through my 12-week maternity leave and we had um, placed her in daycare. And she was there for two weeks before one day I dropped her off. My husband actually dropped her off in the morning and I rushed to the daycare to pick her up. We had a whole fun day planned. We were going to go out with friends. Mm. And I followed a an emergency vehicle to from the freeway to the um, to the daycare. And the whole time I was thinking, my gosh, I I don't I don't know what's going on here, but I need to get in there and get out as fast as possible so that whatever emergency is happening can play out. And I didn't realize that it was my emergency that was happening. And um, she had been placed to sleep on her tummy, which she should not have been. um, And she suffocated and, um, and never, they were not able to revive her. And she was our firstborn. She was, the most happy, beautiful, sweet, amazing baby. And, um, it, it, it really, as you can imagine, pulled the rug out from under us. Um, and you know, when you talk about even wanting to do grief in the gold medal way, I remember very early on, you know, even if you are not well-versed in grief speak, you probably have heard of Keebler Ross's work and the stages of grief. And what I didn't realize or, or know at the time is that those are not linear. That is, and the and they are not a checklist. And so I, I sometimes think we do a disservice when we talk about the stages of grief 
when we don't actually talk about how they work and what they really are. And so I was, I mean, I was taskmaster. I was like, I had a list. I was like, tomorrow we will call the therapist. We will get in for therapy. We are going to get through these levels of grief so that we can check off acceptance. And then we're going to have another baby, right? Because that was how I was handling handling it in the early days. Boy, it was messy. It was a messy time. Um, but But there were glimmers. And one of the glimmers was that my husband and I, started to see butterflies everywhere. And so we said, that's a visit from Brady. When we see a butterfly, that's a visit from Brady. And when the story gets really cool, eventually we did decide to to get pregnant again. We had a little boy, our son, Ollie, who's now 17. Um, we moved into a house on Lake Nokomis. And when we went to, um, I, I was meeting the person from the park board at the house to um, buy one of those memorial plaques that you can put on park benches. There's one right across our, our, the street from our house. Nice. And um, I was early. I had my son in the stroller. I thought, well, we're just going to go for a walk. And as we were walking along the path, there were butterflies everywhere. And I thought, what the heck is this? Like, this is, you know, I'm getting like the stamp of approval on this new neighborhood. We got all these butterflies. Little did I know. And I learned that day that our house is across the street from one of the largest butterfly gardens in the state (laughs) and, or at the time it was. And not only that, we also live across the street from the Nokomis East butterfly festival that they host once a year. (laughs) And her bench sits right over that butterfly garden. And I had no idea. Cool. That's so so and I, and I love that you're open to that, right? That you don't see yeah. that as a coincidence. You see that as oh. intentional. Like Brady is intentionally, um, has guided you to this home. Yeah. Um, you know, she clearly, even though she was three months old, that girl, um, she was got something a, special. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes people send one butterfly. She sends a whole festival. Right. So she wanted to make sure you got the point, which is beautiful. Yes. And I, I'm so, you know, as I'm sitting here, as you were talking about the emergency vehicle and not realizing it was your um, emergency, you know, immediately trauma comes to mind. And and Mm -hmm. once you realize it's your emergency and and the trauma aspect, and it sounds to me like you just went right into trauma and that's how you functioned. And that's so common with grief. Mm -hmm. We also know that um, as beautiful as Kubler-Ross's work is, um, Mm -hmm and truly the cornerstone of a lot of grief work, it really was about the stages of dying and and how people die. And so I've heard so many people say to me, I don't understand why I'm angry. I was angry two weeks ago and I don't Mm -hmm. get this. Um, And I'm so glad you brought that up because not only are they not linear, not everybody experiences all of them. And that doesn't mean, you know, anything. When we're talking about perfectionism here, and so it's, it is so important to just lean into your grief where you're at. And, but it does sound to me like you kind of went into that trauma mode, that task mode, um, oh, yeah. which is a really natural thing to do. The mind does that on purpose for a while. Mm-hmm. It's not, it's some people call it denial. I, I don't like that word. Um, I think people go into an automatic response when something traumatic is happening and it protects you. And then as all of that stuff's done, I don't know if you, could you talk a little bit about after, if you had a service, when did it start kind of melting 
into this has happened. Um, oh, when did boy. the reality? It's so hard to, it's, that's so hard to remember. It's been, you know, our daughter would have been 19 now. And so mm. sometimes it feels like it happened yesterday. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it feels like it's been a lifetime because in so many ways it has. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, when I think of those early days, I very much, my life immediately in that moment split into before Brady and after Brady. Uh-huh. And um, it, I even have a difficult time accessing like timelines in my brain. I also have forgotten a lot of things that happened prior to her death. Mm -hmm. So I will see people that I went to college with and I will think, I know I went to college with you. I cannot remember your name. I don't remember if we were friends. I don't have any kind of vivid memories of you. And I, and I wonder sometimes if people think I'm just being, you know, deliberately obtuse, but but I'm, I, I truly, I lost memories. And so, you know, when did it start to feel real? I, you know, I did, I went through a stage where I did have to wake myself up every single morning and tell myself the story all over again. Mm -hmm. Um, and then we sort of settled into a new normal within a couple probably, I think I went back to work after two weeks. I did not get a long time, which this is nothing against my personal employer at the time. This is all employers. It's criminal. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, when you have large losses like that, it is, that's a lot to ask somebody to show back up and, um, perform at the level that they were performing at, at another time. Um, but, uh, yeah. And I, you know, I will say though, 19 years later, I still sometimes have to stop myself and say, whoa, this yeah. happened. Yeah. Yeah. This happened. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Ryan and I talk about that a lot because we both have these stories that got us to where we're at. And mm-hmm. sometimes we're just talking about them in front of a group and yeah. you're just talking about it almost like, Hey, it's windy outside today and it's sunny. Right. And you're just so, and sometimes people say, how can you talk like this? Just so matter mm-hmm. of fact. And then there's other times where I'm weeping and weeping and weeping. And mm-hmm. Brian has an incredible story. And we say that, you know, he can talk about this um, experience with OCD. And it, some, it's, I've heard it many times, his own story, and it still can make me very teary. And I'll watch mm-hmm. him and I'm like, wow, he's telling this in front of a large audience not that it doesn't impact us, right? But it's just sometimes, it just, that's how it is. And the important thing is, and I just did a talk the other night, this woman walked up to me and she said, I don't know why I'm not crying after my mom died. She just died two weeks ago, but I took care of her for five years. And she literally said, why am I not crying? And I said, because that's not the only way we grieve. Yeah. And, you know, and how much have you cried prior to her death? And so mm-hmm. I think that's, you know, and, and I want to make sure you jump in here, Brian, um, and not no. you know, leave y'all, but I'm, I'm thinking about this before and after concept. I hear so much mm-hmm. about that. I've often heard about that when people have had a panic attack or a depressive episode where they say kind of before that happened or cancer or diagnosis, whatever it's before and after. And we always talk about now, how do we live in the in-between? How do we live in before that happened and after it happened, which is the now, you know, how do we live in that? And Brian, do you have any thoughts? Cause I, I do think about your 
first experience of panic. And before that panic, there was this innocence. Before the major yeah. death, there's like this innocence of life that we yeah. have that gets completely robbed and taken from us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a lot of times when that happens, right, we just like don't have the tools to to maneuver that in the moment. Mm-hmm. You know, I think about myself in middle school when I really, really started struggling with my mental health. I just, I had no idea what was going on. I had no tools to maneuver it. Um, and unfortunately, it, you know, it takes us time, right? It like takes us time to kind of regain footing and learn how to live with and maneuver those things that, um, that, that feel really, really intense. Um, Kalina, I'm curious as I'm listening to you, to you share, first of all, just thank you so much for mm-hmm. being willing to share and, yes. and, and open up to us about this. Um, I, the last time that I talked to you, I think in this kind of setting, I was actually on your podcast that you were hosting mm-hmm. at the time that was focused on mental health, which leads me yeah. to believe that um, mental health is something that you have, you know, I mean, we, we all experience mental health struggles to some extent, but I, I would imagine for you, there's been a journey with that in part, of course, through the loss of, of Brady. I mean, how can that mm-hmm. not significantly impact somebody's mental health? Oh yeah. Um, but what, what is, what has that journey from a mental health standpoint kind of looked like for you and currently looked like yeah. for you at this point in your life? So, um, you know, when you talk about being in middle school and not having, you know, like the vocabulary even or the ability to understand, I have a similar engagement. I mean, I, I definitely had anxiety as a child. Um, yeah. for, and there are some things that we can point to in my, in my history about why that is and some uncertainties in my family of origin and that kind of thing. But I never could identify what the feeling was. Um, and I, so I didn't even know how to tell anybody that I was having this feeling. The only way I could explain the feeling was I felt homesick, but I would, Mm -hmm. as I was at home, it was the only Mm. thing I could make sense of. So, um, so Mm. I think I didn't, but I still didn't have the vocabulary for it. Uh, and then when our daughter died and I, that was when I saw a therapist for myself for the first time. Yeah. And that was a tremendous kind of opening. Um, I just, you know, like just cracked me open. Mm. And I recognized that I had had anxiety for a long time, that I had lived um, for a number of reasons with a lot of uncertainty as a child. Um, and then here, the worst possible thing in the entire world had actually happened to me. Yeah. Uh, whenever I tell, whenever you tell people that you have, yeah. that you lost a child, um, the the very first thing most people will say is, I cannot imagine. And they usually will also then punctuate with punctuate that with, I I would die. I I couldn't go on. Mm-hmm. Which is a hard thing when you when you are a person who's lost a child and you are going on. Yeah. Um it's a hard thing to hear, but but it is the reason why people say that is because it truly is unimaginable. Yeah. And so here I had had the most unimaginable thing happen. And um, it was, at, you know, just going through then another pregnancy. And the it was a daily practice mm. yeah. to be mindful and be in the moment and know that you're okay until you're not okay or you're safe until you're not safe. Yeah. 
right? So to, to be present in each and every moment of a pregnancy, knowing what the worst thing that could happen could be. Mm-hmm. And thinking that maybe like I had some sort of mark on me that that was why it was mm-hmm. had happened and that it could happen again. Mm-hmm. So um, my son had a healthy we had a healthy pregnancy with him. He was um, born also about 41 weeks, you know, just a touch late. And I don't think he's been on time since. <laughs> and um, <laughs> and then in between uh, him and then my I have I have twins also. In between those two, um, we got pregnant again and we uh, got pregnant with another little girl and we lost her at 20 weeks mm. of pregnancy. Mm. And that was, that, that was, I took a hit again. I mean, that mm. is the, the rug gets pulled mm. out from under you again and you forget, or I forgot, I should say, I, it's like, I forgot everything I knew. Um, I forgot everything I had done, all the things I had done to survive all the way through that pregnancy that was a healthy pregnancy. Um, I am so thankful I had my son at that time to be my reminder because I needed the physical reminder of all your children don't die. You have one right here with you. Um, but it felt like it at the time. And then, um, and then, and then we got pregnant again and it was twins. And the way I always joke is I'm, I feel like we're always on the wrong end of statistics at our house. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like We were always, you know, like <laughs> if there's a statistic, like this doesn't happen to anybody, it happens to us, you know? Yeah. So they're like this, you know, hardly anybody has twins and now, now we have twins. So there are, jo- there's a joyful piece of that. And, you yeah. know, and then there's the sad piece of that, but um, it really, when I tell people in rap- rapid succession about my kids, they kind of, it's like, yeah. they don't know the roller coaster is still there. Are we done with the roller coaster yet? <laughs> you never yeah. know. Right. Um, yeah. But yeah, it, it, um, it was, so I definitely learned through those losses um, what was actually going on inside of me all that time and why it was actually perfectly natural for me to consider that if I got pregnant again, my baby would die because that had happened. And so the constant care that I had to give to myself throughout that process and to remind myself every day that everything is okay is another day that everything is okay. Yes. Yes. And it's so interesting as I'm listening to you speak because I don't I don't care what the suffering is, whether it's the mental health, the the loss, the physical health, the amount of people that hear things like, because it's important that we, we have somebody to say that to, right? That I'm scared this baby's going to die. And mm-hmm. to be met with, which I've heard from so many people over the years, things like you got to think positively, oh. you got to do that is mm. so, A, not helpful, mm-hmm. um, B, diminishing of what it is. Right. And, um, because I work a lot in the oncology space, people hear that a lot where they'll say, you've got to think positively or the cancer is going to, and I had a beautiful patient, um, named Judy one time that said to me, um, if she's one of the most positive, beautiful, grateful people in the world and said, if, if this is true, I wouldn't have any problems because Mm -hmm. I am the most positive (laughs) grateful person in the world. 
and we can be grateful for what we have and still feel really scared and shaken and uncertain by what is happening. And I think that's such an important concept. It's not think positively and things are okay. It's, it's feel what you feel, share what you're thinking and, and still within there, you're, you're really happy about your baby boy. Yeah. But that doesn't diminish the grief of the two daughters that you have lost. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, too often I, I, I have noticed that those are all techniques people use when they are uncomfortable looking at grief. And, um, I just will not allow for that. Um, because fortunate are you, (laughs) those who have never experienced grief. I don't believe you because, um, we are, when you really take a step back and look at life on a daily basis, we are in a cycle of joy and grief all the live long day. And, you know, I just did a a post on my sub stack about, I call them grief flashes. And Mm. a grief flash for me is when you are confronted with something where you recognize that you once had something that you no longer have. Mm. And it's not always a sad, bad thing. Um, For me, it's most poignant when I think about the way that I used to be able to snuggle my kids. And now my 17 year old is six, two, and he can't, I can't fit him in my arms anymore. Right. So that's a grief, but it's not a, but grief is in and of itself is not bad. It's actually beautiful. And I wish we could as a culture, get more comfortable holding that together Mm-hmm. and seeing other people's grief and not being afraid of it, but embracing it and not mm-hmm. trying to prescribe something to make it all go away, whether that's gratitude or happiness or positive thinking or any of that yeah. stuff. Um, right. But just to be able to, what a gift it is to be able to to be present in somebody else's grief and say to them, I see that. Mm-hmm. I see that. Mm-hmm. I'm so sorry. I am hurting too for you. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I will hold it with you. Well, and there's, and I don't want it to, I don't want this to come across like rose colored glasses, you know, of toxic positivity. But mm-hmm. I, I think, I think within grief, like the experiences that I've had with grief um, have been some of my greatest teachers yeah. and have, mm-hmm. and have taught me some of the most profound lessons about myself mm-hmm. and have connected me more to, my heart, you know, like, like it's grown me into a new level of myself or like just into a new layer. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's the thing oftentimes with grief, right? And that's something that I learned a lot through Kelly was that the more that you allow it, it, the more that I allowed grief to truly just do what it was going to do. There were, it was one of the most, some of the most painful things I've ever gone through for sure. And okay. on the other side of it, there's these little nuggets of wisdom that we come out of them with that are really beautiful and help us yeah. actually show up in a whole different way in our life. Mm. And so it's not it that. so. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. Just I think it's, it's a horrendous thing that people go through with grief. And I can't even begin to understand what it's like to lose a child like you have. Um and so I don't want people to hear me saying that, oh, yeah, we should all just go through something like, something like that because you're going to get this beautiful nugget on the other side. But grief does have an ability to transform like a few yeah. other things do. And and your grief 
or, you, you know, whatever it is that is that for you, it'll be different than mine, perhaps. Yep. Yes. Yep. But either way, you're not getting out of this life without it. Yeah. So, and, and that's not, I don't, you know, sometimes I say that and I'm afraid it sounds like uh, I am, you know, that's a warning. It's not a warning. It's a, it's an invitation yeah. to recognize we are all going to have major griefs in our life. That's part of being alive. And what a great thing to be alive. Right. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I remember learning this very early or, or I, I, I haven't said it in the same way for a long, long time, but when I remember within a week, I think of when Brady died, I remember saying out loud, I'm so glad that I know how much I loved her now. Mm-hmm. And And what I meant by that was if you don't have that great, awful pain, you can't, it's like, it's like two Mm -hmm. sides of a scale, right? Mm -hmm. Like they, they tell you about both sides. Nothing hurts terribly to lose if you didn't love it so much, Yeah. right? And the more you loved it, the harder it is to lose it. And, Mm -hmm. and that's, and I, that is not to be Pollyanna or to, to be toxic positivity, but it is a way of looking at both sides and seeing how much you can hold all at the same time. And that's part of being human. It is. And I, you know, I often, one of the things I say is that it is grief is the mirror of love and love is the Mm. mirror, mirror of grief. And, you know, so interesting because I had the privilege to, when Brian had a loss, I got to be there um, with him for part of it. And I remember if it's okay, I, I love when people say this is okay if I share this, Brian, and you don't even know I'm going to share. But um, <laughs> I remember you saying to me, I didn't even know this was called grief, like yeah. that experience of what you're feeling. And I, and as you're talking, Clean, I, I think that was probably true too. We don't we hear the word, but until you've really experienced the mm-hmm. the experience of it. I think that's true with um, people have, you know, Brian and I talk about this all the time, how people throw around the terminal, oh, I'm so anxious, or I'm so OCD, or I'm so depressed, and and how I really try to step in with people um, and say, you know, hold on, when it's so flippant, because if you've truly experienced these things, and someone is just, I'm so depressed, my jeans don't fit, it can feel um, well, it can feel insulting because it is. Yeah. And yeah. I, and I think of that with grief and, and when people haven't experienced and grief is all forms, right. Of loss. It's not just death, but mm-hmm. for the purpose of today, we'll leave it at the death loss is if you haven't experienced that or not just death loss, but loss of a person of some kind, divorce, whatever it may be, like you said, fortunate you. And mm-hmm. I could, I will reserve, I can get real bitchy when it comes to, um, I'm very protective of people in grief and the, the assaults that come from society about judgment and mm. um, back to your gold medal, back to your bronze medal, back to your silver medal. I didn't even think of it until this moment about how we put people on an Olympic stand when it comes to the judging of how are you getting through this? And when people say to me, doctors calling me saying, I'm concerned about my patient. It's been six months to a year. 
and they haven't they haven't really moved off of the starting point of when this happened. Mm. Um, they want them on the gold. They want them on the platform. They want them to receive the medal, and they want them on off the platform. Yeah. You yeah. know. Yeah. So then the new event can start. <laughs> and you I know, just thought of this now. I'm like, yeah, that's exactly what it is. Well, and and also, you know, um, one of the things that I think about a lot when it comes to um, other people's response to my grief or your grief or to a person's grief is, I always think there's they don't want they they don't want to seem like they have an expiration date of compassion but there is one there mm. and and we all can feel when we're bumping up against somebody else's expiration date for our <laughs> grief <laughs> you know um i i remember it would come back to me in in different ways people that i worked with who would say when is she going to stop talking about this when is this going to you know and 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 the compassionate part of me knows again that that has nothing to do with me that has to do with other people's discomfort of holding grief with somebody or recognizing that I had changed fundamentally as a person because I had had this deep experience and people around me some of them were not willing to get to know who that new person was Um, They wanted the old one back that they knew what to expect with the old person, but the Mm -hmm. new version of me who had all these complicated feelings and deep thoughts and, um, you know, awarenesses and, you know, had, had looked this in the face. I wasn't as fun. (laughs) I wasn't. And I can cop to that. Like at the time, for sure, I was not always a fun person to be around. But I recognized I could see it like you could feel sort of the air shift when somebody was just sort of over it. Yeah. Yeah. And I, um, yeah. and that's and that is part of what navigating grief looks like. Um, it is. It but, is. And, and I've always said it's not our job as the bereaved to to justify our pain to somebody else. Mm-mm. And Mm-mm. I call those the grocery store. How are you's like like you oh. said, you just know the how are you and then. Before you answer, mm-hmm. they're off. And Brian, I'm wondering, in mental health, you must it must feel like this also, right? Like if you just did more yoga, you'd be less anxious. If you just did more, I mean, do you want to talk yeah. about that a little bit? For because I just I imagine that happens a lot with yeah. people who are struggling with their mental health. Well, yeah, and, and I think. And I think along the lines too of the, the like the how are you question, I, I've, I've I've like if I genuinely answered how I am most of the time, it's like man that would be a pretty and and I think that's the case for a lot of us, right? Like the, the actual honest answer would be pretty long and pretty um, yep. <laughs> like like nobody wants to hear that. Yeah, you know. And I think particularly They're not really asking. <laughs> yeah, and like and like for me, you know, like with with struggling with. Um, symptoms of OCD, as I've learned to kind of understand that more, like oftentimes when somebody asks me, like, how are you? Like the honest answer is usually like, I'm still sitting here ruminating about the same thing that I was ruminating about a week ago when you asked me that question, (laughs) you know, like my brain is still going around and around and around about that thing. I have tools of how to maneuver that and not let that totally consume my life. But I think it can sometimes feel like hard 
to just, and maybe even like embarrassing sometimes. It's just Mm -hmm. like, I, it's embarrassing to be like, yeah, I'm still sitting over here, like ruminating about this and going over and over and over again, even though I know it makes like very little logical sense. Like that's Mm -hmm. the reality of what's going on for me in this moment. And so I think just simply answering that question of how are you is really hard when you struggle with things related to your mental health, whether that's depression or anxiety or whatever it is where it it can feel scary and like you don't want to be a burden or that annoying person that's the downer of the situation. Mm -hmm. But it's important, you know, it's important to have those safe spaces where, you know, finding those people in your life that can truly hold the truth um, and cause I think learning to speak the truth of how we're doing yeah. is a huge part of our healing and has mm-hmm. been a huge part of my healing. Like I'm so conditioned to just, no, I'm good. Everything's good and project that to the world. And that's not really getting me anywhere that I want to go in life. Well, and I mean, to that point too, that there are times where that actually is the safest answer, right? Yeah. When you're, when, when it's somebody who you know is not one of those people who's going to go there with you and they're saying, how are you? You, we know, you know, if I'm in, oh, yeah. and if I'm, if I'm anxious about something and I know that the person who is asking me how I'm doing, isn't going to be able to handle that. I'll, I'm, I'm good. Thanks for asking. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But then when my best friend says to me, how are you doing? she understands my anxiety and she knows what that looks like. And she knows how to ask me the right questions to get to what I need. Yeah. I can just be honest about it. Yes. Um, Yeah. So we know where we can, where we need to mask a little bit and we know where we can let it all hang out. (laughs) Well, and I think, I, I think one of the things I've learned is when I'm vulnerable and let's, let my people in, they will do the same in return. Mm-hmm. But if I am constantly having to be okay or whatever, why would I, how would I ever expect them to open up to me? I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's because I'm basically telling them always be okay, you know? Yeah. And it's so, and I, another thing is, and, and I, I think we all have to be protective of our energy, right? So we have these four quarters in our lives versus our hundred pennies. And they still add up to the same thing, but they, their value is different. Um, I feel fortunate that I know I have quarters that will listen to my whatever, like as Brian said, yep, I'm still ruminating about the thing I was last week, or guess what? This bothered me 10 years ago. And I am so pissed that I I thought I had what it took. To, to manage this or to new, to maneuver this, but apparently I don't. And I, I'm mm. so grateful that I can say it to somebody who can mm. let it land and not judge because mm-hmm. by the way, PSA, we're judging ourselves so much before it even leaves our mouth. Yeah, and we've already true. decided you're judging me. And really I'm projecting on you, you know, cause yeah. our, like our safe yeah. people, our safe people, probably are not. It's mm-hmm. us. Yeah. And I, and so we do have to have these safe people and safety is a word I've started using a lot more in my work with people because it's become very apparent. Whatever we suffer with, the antidote can feel is the safe space is the mm-hmm. safe place mm-hmm. is the safe person. And it is truly, you want to talk about gratitude, 
truly, I mean, I can get really, I, I am getting emotional just thinking about this because, you know, there's people out there that don't feel like they have a safe place. Mm-hmm. And I, they've said it to me over and over again as their therapist. I am the only place in the month where they've come and haven't felt judged or ridiculed for something that is so natural as a response to what's going on in their life. Mm-hmm. And so to have people is a true, is a true gift. And people that don't want to get me to that podium and get me the mm-hmm. gold medal or the whatever mm-hmm. medal that can just let me hang out in this, whatever, what, what comes before the podium? I don't even know. I mean, the, yeah, the, the track and field, yeah. I, I don't even know. Yeah. It's such the a whole, the holding room. Yeah, yeah the holding go. room. I mean, like, who can just let me be there, mm-hmm. um, even though I'm probably not going to get even a medal. Like, I'm going to be yeah. the 10th, 12th, 15th person, but I'm going to be where I'm at. And yeah. that's all I can be, right? And so yeah. just so grateful um, to the people. Brian, you being one of them. Clean, now you're one of them. I'm um, in. Where, where, I can just, <laughs> where I can just say things. And, you know, I know people aren't, probably going to see us maybe they're going to see part of us but clean you have the most tender face as i'm looking at you you just and brian we know you do so i don't have to you know but (laughs) earlier as you were talking about this redhead freckled girl um she's developed into like you have this face that i probably could tell like my darkest secrets too. Oh, I'm not going to oh. do it now, but Listen, I'm just, I'm, I'm a vault too. I love it. <laughs> I will hold people's secrets. Oh yeah. <laughs> I, I, I get that. But yeah. you just, you have this tender face and you know, tragedy does later. I don't, again, I don't want people to do Pollyanna. I think it's Pollyanna, but mm-hmm. later it does soften us. It just does. And it makes us people that, that can hold things for other people. Yeah. Yeah, because we know what it felt like when other people would hold things for us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. So I know, I know, we're probably wrapping up. I mean, I, this I'm looking at the clock, going, God, I've never had something go so quick. I can um, go for days. Listen, no, I'm just kidding. I know, I, me too. And Brian's probably got some paper he's got to write, but um, <laughs> can we just go around and talk about real quick, maybe the three of us? So when we were in a situation and we were suffering kind of maybe what's helpful mm-hmm. to hear and what wasn't mm-hmm. helpful to hear. And mm-hmm. because I do want people to walk away with not only hearing the story, but like, how can you bring this into the world and um, maybe be a softer space for somebody? Cause mm-hmm. Brian, you talk about this all the time, which is so beautiful. You don't have to fix it for people. We can't fix yeah, it. That's... I mean, there's no way I can cure um somebody's OCD or make Brady come back as much as I would love to make her physically come back. I mean, we can Mm -hmm. talk about ways, you know, she clearly is not gone in Mm -hmm. with her butterfly, Mm -hmm. but, um, like what's helpful and what hasn't been helpful. I mean, I think that's Mm -hmm. important and anybody can start. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, the, what always comes up for me and I don't, I don't know how true this is for other people, but I know for me, I do best when somebody gives me just a space to be where I'm at and who validates my experience. Mm. So, so I don't do well when people try to 
overly normalize my experience mm-hmm. or say things like, oh, everybody deals with that, like, you know, kind of the, the brushing aside of, mm-hmm. and I understand where that comes from. It comes from a place of trying to like help you feel like you're not alone, which I totally get. But um, I don't know. I, I think that's been always the most helpful thing for me is just when somebody listens, lets me be where I'm at, reminds me and, and you know, just a simple line, like, that sounds really, really hard. And mm. I'm so sorry that you're going through that. Um, that helps like remind me of my strength mm. and my ability to maneuver what I'm, what I'm walking through. Yeah. You mm. know, I'm thinking about um, specifically actually, cause I could go on for days about all the things that are not helpful when somebody are, is grieving. I won't go yeah. there. You can, that, that there's plenty of that in the world. But, um, but I'm thinking about with my anxiety when I'm anxious about something. And like I said, I, I always, almost always go to my best friend. She is like, she also has anxiety. So we speak the same language, mm-hmm. but the thing that she does that I learned from her, that is the most beautiful thing and is so helpful to me along the lines of, you know, people are always going to want to try to fix it. She will say to me, do you need support right now? Or do you, are you looking for answers? Mm-hmm. And let's me be the, let's me choose um, what I need from her in that moment. And the truth of it is sometimes the, sometimes my answer to her is I need answers. Yeah. Um, yeah. What are you seeing that I'm not seeing in this experience? Sometimes it is, I just need your support. I need to know yeah. that you love me, even though this is a really like obnoxious thing that I'm ruminating over and I can't get to the nut of it and I can't fix it. I just need you to like, tell me now that I will add to that. My husband, this is the thing my husband is the best at. My therapist calls it, who do we hate? (laughs) It's when I'm really whipped up about something and I just need somebody in my corner to be like, yeah, man, that person is being a real jerk. (laughs) And he's like my hype dude for that. And so Mm -hmm. there is a, you know, knowing there's part of it is just knowing who your people are that you can go to for what exactly you need in that moment. But also yeah. having a person who's literate in how can I be yes. what you need in this moment. Yeah. So your husband so. doesn't say, what is the lesson in the moment? No. Oh, no. He's like, who are we piling on right now? <laughs> and I wouldn't go to him if I needed the lesson. <laughs> he's my who do we hate person. Isn't that true? Isn't that true? That's yeah. so beautiful that you have your best friend. Yeah. I'm a lucky person. And. Yeah. I think that's a beautiful question to ask somebody, you know, what are you needing right now? Um, Mm -hmm. What are you needing versus what are you wanting? Sometimes even sounds softer. Like, what are you needing versus what are you wanting from me? You know, Mm -hmm. kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, So for mine, um, I'll go with the grief. I, um, I think what's been very helpful is my, so my mom clean died when I was 11 Mm-hmm. And, um, it was tragically, it was in, she was 33 and it was in a grocery store. She collapsed in front of, not in front of me, but she collapsed. I was there. Yeah. And, um, as years have gone by, there have been moments where I have had, um, not grief flashes, but grief, like, mm-hmm. like, whoa, like the big bang. Over. Big bang. Mm -hmm. And what I'm so Mm -hmm. grateful for is when somebody can just sit with me and act like it happened yesterday. 
you know, like Mm. not try to go, why is this still hurting? What, you know, what have you missed in it? So what's been very helpful is when people can just meet me at it, not have to have all the answers as to why, what happened today? Why is today hard? What just, I'm just telling you, this is a really hard day and you're meeting me. I think that's really a beautiful gift we can Mm. give Mm. the bereaved. Anybody suffering is to not have them explain it, but just grief is such a portal to walk in. You know, it really is. It it has been the unhelpful things um, is, and I'll just give this and is when anybody starts with at least. Uh, Nothing good comes after at least. I say this all the time. No. Uh So at least you have this, at least you didn't this, at least they didn't this, at least da, 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 Mm. da. So that, that is not helpful. And that, and I imagine that's true of mental health too, Brian. It's like, well, at least yeah. you didn't, you know, end up in the hospital. Well, okay, there's a lot between this and that. And so, right. but for me, I just, I really, and the greatest gift I want to always give the people that I love is that I'll listen to your story as many times as you need to tell me. And mm-hmm. I, yeah. I will. It's such a privilege. And the interesting thing is every time the story is told, I hear it differently. So mm. whether we think we're telling the same story, I don't hear it in the same fashion when people say it. So my hope for everybody listening today is that you will find somebody who can truly be a landing space for you in what you're suffering with and not have you justify it, that it gets to that gold medal level of suffering. It can be whatever suffering it, you know, if it feels hard to you, it is hard. I mean, that's the reality, you know, so could we just not talk and talk and go on and on and on about this? <laughs> Your concept of this bronze medal, um, and we'll put a link on our show notes, is, has, I just really am resonating with this. I feel like it can go all across the board in life. Yeah. Yeah. It's like I a mean, one size fits all. <laughs> yeah. It just really... And really what comes to it is, and, you know, cause what if he didn't even get the bronze medal? <laughs> then what? Then, so you're going to have to, you're going to have to write a little stack about that. I will. I'm, you know what? <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm going to write that down. <laughs> right. But, um, anything you want to add that you haven't gotten to say clean or as we're I mean, don't, don't open that door. Cause I could go on. No, I just am so grateful to both of you for the work that you're doing. And, and I, and I appreciate so much the way that you have found the ways that, um, grief and mental health kind of walk beside each other and cross paths from time to time. And, um, and I think the world just needs more voices talking and being vulnerable about these, um, these things that, that don't get pulled out into the light nearly enough, uh, but it, it's part of the human condition. And so thank you for, for doing the work you're doing and thank you for inviting me into it. It's just been, it's just been a delight. Mm. What an honor. Thank you Truly. so much, Colleen. It was so good to chat with you. Mm, it's beautiful. And I can't wait to, can't wait to keep following along as you, you bring this to life. Keep stepping into this next chapter. Thank Are you. Are you on Instagram? Do you have, um, Oh yeah so people can follow yep, you. I'm on Instagram. I'm on, I still call it Twitter. I will not call it what it's being called now. <laughs> uh, you can find me on threads. You can find me all over the place. So and how do uh, they find yeah. you? What's it under? So 
Well, you know what? You can connect to all of those things from my website, which is thebronzemetallife.com. Great. Cool. Great. Love that. Thank you so much. And Brian, thank you. Thank you, my friend. For all you do. Such a pleasure. Also, just a reminder that this podcast is not meant to replace work with a therapist. And so if you feel you need it, encourage you to reach out to a trained mental health professional. All right, we'll talk soon.